Gentlemen, good afternoon. Coming to you live from the Lanai deck of the USS Unwin. It's the Vegas Gang Podcast for June Woo! 22nd, 2012. Woo! Uh, the Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. This is a podcast on the internet. Um, <laughs> let me go around the virtual table and introduce the guys. We have Chuck Monster, the editor-in-chief at VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Not all that much. Happy to be here with you guys, my two favorite pals on this corner of the internet. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Dr. Dave Schwartz, director of UNLV's Center for Comfortable Footwear. What's happening, Dave? <laughs> so you're telling me that this thing is available on the internet now? That's what I'm told. That's what I'm told. <laughs> wow. Let's, uh, let's put out a press release. <laughs> we get uh, – eh, I was going to say something mean, but I guess I'm going to hold back. Um, my name's Hunter Hilligus. I uh, – I'm a guy on the internet in this corner. A um, couple of announcements before we start talking some topics. First off is a reminder that the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic with our good friends from 500 by Midnight is going to be in October um, at a place to be determined. Uh, <laughs> you know, it would make a good story, but I don't know if anyone's <laughs> interest to... Explain the process that goes into making all these details come together. Let's just say that we are working hard to make it happen as quickly as possible. And as is, um, you know, sort of uh, standard now, it's taking longer than we thought slash hoped to get everything nailed down. But we're working on it. So we appreciate your patience. And we'll uh, have more information as soon as – we'll give you more information as soon as we have it. So, I don't know. I don't think there's anything else I can say, right? That's pretty much it. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. More to come. Um, I also wanted to give a special birthday shout-out greeting to um, probably our our biggest fan and the person that hates us the most all at once. Uh, Mr. Jeff Leatherrock. His birthday is tomorrow. Um, Jeff, happy birthday. we know that we know we bum you out sometimes, but uh, <laughs> we appreciate your um, the fact that you're always listening. So, happy birthday to Jeff, friend of the show. It's like an S and M relationship. It is. It is. You know, it's it's the it's a quintessential love hate relationship. I think we give him pleasure and pain. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Jeff, I don't think we're going to be talking about SLS or downtown very much today. So, uh, you get the week off um, in terms of being <laughs> us bumming you out. <laughs> All right, um, let's get into it. We've got kind of, kind of a interesting set of topics today, I think, um, a little bit less uh, sort of dictated by the news this time, um, and so we'll get into those in a second. But I want to start off with one, something that has been in the news uh, right off the top, which was a couple of win-related items. So Elaine Wynn uh, – Started up a lawsuit, basically, to sue. She wants to nullify the shareholders' agreement that is preventing her from uh, selling her shares in the company. You know, she's said in her filing she wants to basically be free to do philanthropy and estate planning. And, of course, the Steve is not fired up in uh, as far as this goes. Um, he wants to retain the shareholders' agreement. It gives him more voting control over the stock, and then, you know, I don't think he wants – to see who might end up buying those shares. So that's kind of an interesting story. Um, you know, I, it, I, will it have any impact on 
the company. I don't know. It probably depends. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think it's, it's clear that she's trying to move on with her life. She, she sees an opening, uh, in as much as the Okada thing is potentially splitting, um, some of these, uh, agreements wide open and, um, there's potential for her to, to get out of these restrictions. Um, you know, was anybody surprised to see her, uh, basically openly take on her ex-husband in court? I'm not surprised at all. I've long thought that the second they got divorced, it signaled the beginning of the end for for Steve Wynn. She is his steadying hand. Without her, he kind of loses his mind, and he gets he lets his megalomania sort of get get the best of him. And the second she's left, all sorts of crazy things have happened. You know, the 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 family business as it was, had pretty much cracked open. Uh, a lot of long-time relationships have destroyed and fall apart, including the Okada one. Um, and he's, by his own admission, you know, not aging gracefully. He's uh, sort of going kicking and screaming in a very bizarre sort of direction. And uh, seeing Elaine do this, you know, this is just another of a, tree full of shoes that are hitting the ground. And I, I think it's probably only going to get worse. You know, the, 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 the background is that, and then correct me if I'm wrong, is that Steve votes for Elaine's shares. Right. She's basically a silent holder. She got the percentage based on their divorce agreements, and Steve retains the rights to sort of use those as a block of his vote. So if he loses those, that means he has less votes on the board, which opens up the possibility that somebody like Okada or, you know, John Unwin can mm-hmm. take over the company. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it would, in terms of control, it would, he would be potentially ceding some if he lost those rights, you know, so he, yeah. he doesn't want, uh, doesn't want that to happen. Yep. Um, I, you know, the most interesting thing to me just was that it spilled out into open court. I mean, I think they value their privacy and this technically is sort of related to their divorce and family situation. And so I'm sure that for it to have gone this far, they must, their relationship must be fairly icy at this point uh, for it to have, have gone, uh, ended up in the court system. That's just a guess, but it's hard to imagine it being particularly friendly at the moment. No. But when you're talking about billion dollars here and a billion dollars there, you know, it's it's uh, these are big numbers and um, you know a lot of interested parties. What's the point though of her having all these holdings if she can't liquidate them or I think do the, anything with them or do anything against them? You yeah, know? well, I think I don't know exactly the, the total specifics of, right, right. of the financial agreement. But if Steve gave me a billion dollars worth of stock and said you can't sell it, you can't get a loan against it. You right. can't do anything with it, and I'm going to vote with it. Then, you know, he might as well give me a bag full of rotten eggs. So, um, I believe they can sell stock, but they have to get permission from, like, she has to get his permission when she wants to sell shares. So she doesn't have direct control over selling it as she might want to, right? So he could veto her sale. Right. Um, so it's not like she can ever. It's not like it's an asset she can't ever sell, but she does have to get permission under the current agreement. As far as but taking, she, so she doesn't have the rights to do anything with it. Basically, it's. Directly. It might as well be Steve's 
Yeah. Right, to directly control them. I mean, as far as taking out loans against them, you know, actually, I don't... I would be surprised if she hadn't done that, actually. It's pretty common for people with large asset pools that are in a specific company's stock. They may not want to liquidate it for all sorts of reasons, um, but uh, they want... They need liquid assets to um, to be able to Fine. live. And so uh, it's pretty common for people with um, huge stock blocks to take loans out against them. And I don't necessarily know if the agreement precludes that though of course the shares are sort of special in that they don't have the normal conferred rights that a normal share stock has so you know she probably have to make some kind of a deal with the bank that um to make that all work but yeah you know i am not surprised she wants out of the agreement i think anybody would right i mean if you have a choice between shares you can freely sell and shares you can't you want the ones you can freely sell Absolutely. So mm-hmm. um, it's just interesting to see the uh, the sort of warfare may be too strong, but for it to spill out into court. And, yeah. you know, S- Steve responded and said, yep, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm against this. This is re- this is uh, this is <clears throat> not the best thing and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it. you know, he's not uh, he's not conceding. It's definitely going to continue through the legal system. We'll see what happens. But. Well, it could be this is, you know, Okada and Elaine, I think, know Steve pretty well. And they possibly know exactly how they have to deal with him at this point. You know, they can't just say Steve, you know, over dinner. (laughs) It doesn't – obviously, it doesn't seem to work that they have to go fully to the mat and make it a public display for him to get – I don't know, their attention, his attention, or, or what. Who knows? But uh, I'm not surprised. Speaking of things that may get Steve's attention, what, what there was a post on your forums today, Chuck, about the AAA designation for Encore. Can you explain what that was? Yeah, one of our, uh, one of our uh, readers who goes by the handle Blast Pascal, no relation, question mark, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he uh, noticed that uh, Encore was being listed on the AAA website as a four-diamond property, not a five-diamond property. Uh, the uh, January announcement has of – all, of all the AAA five-diamond properties has Encore listed as a five-diamond property, but why is it listed as a four-diamond property? You know, That's a big question. So it could be. You know, that in the interim, at some point, maybe during the, this process, you know, we're in, what, June now? Uh, that they've, uh, late June, they've, they've might have lost a diamond somewhere, and who knows? Yeah, Good so, question. Right, it could be a mistake. Do you know what the timeline is for the review? No. Whatever that is for the, uh, so we're that assessment. The, yeah, the, the judging, yeah, the... Judging. Uh, Judging of the diamonds. What's what's that timeline usually like? I, I don't really know the specifics. I think in general they make a couple of different visits throughout the year, two or three times. And uh, I'm not sure if it's the mobile or if it's AAA or Forbes or AAA, but they go back and say, you missed this, you missed that. If you want to keep your rating, you have to fix it. So they have a couple of options to uh, – to get their shit together if it's a little subpar. So they could be in the middle of that. Who knows? But I don't know if they'd make those kinds of adjustments to the website, you know, taking a star away unless something happened. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, it'll, it'll, we'll definitely need to watch it and see if it gets corrected um, or whether they did indeed lose it because it would be pretty embarrassing for them to be knocked down a peg. I mean, I don't has that happened before to a major property like that? I can't think of uh, an example. We've heard of people not doing well in their inspections and then having to make changes, but as far as them actually de- being docked a star, I can't think of any example where um, someone actually lost one. No, I, I can't think of it in the middle. I can't even think of what major hotel in Las Vegas, at least as, as long as I've been following it, has, has dropped down wrong. Usually once you get below four, you don't really hear about it at all, but I can't think of one. All right, so <clears throat> the next thing that I wanted to talk about on the win front, mostly just because uh, it came out since our last show was an updated rendering of their property in Kotai that they're building, uh, which was notable specifically because the design of the high-rise building seems to have changed. Um, We saw a leak from Steve, uh, I don't know how long ago was that, like nine months ago now? Yeah. That last leak. And then this new rendering, which was part of uh, a press blitz that went with their announcement of their um, license and their uh, funding announcements. Um, an X-shaped building, right? So you think of a building like Paris, Las Vegas. Um, that's what we're looking at for Win Kotai. So, um, you know, what do you, you guys have both seen this, I think, right? So would you see that it's a pretty small little thumbnail. You can't get that much detail out of it, but... You know, Chuck, what do you think when you see this rendering? Are you are you excited? Do you think it's a progression, a regression? Uh, hard to tell. I'm kind of on the fence both ways. Uh, I wasn't really a fan of the previous one. Uh, some of it, I, I guess, I like. The previous one, you know, as I said, it looked like a lobster wearing a Cosby sweater. Uh, <laughs> not, not so hot on it. Um, this one, it looks sort of like the South Point, but it, it could just be... Because the rendering had zero detail to it, it was really, really uh, kind of basic. But uh, you know, the discussion that happened on, on the VT board related to to the unveiling of that, I thought was really fascinating. And uh, particularly, reader Steve Covington once again whipped out one of his little site plan designs and put it into a lot more perspective. It's not so much of an X shape as it is sort of a Double Y, uh, with a which are kind of joined. It's almost like it's almost like W shaped, maybe. Okay. Like wind, like wind W shaped, you know, with a spine in the middle. So, it, it it it's probably a you know it evolved from the previous design. That was the one that Steve had been looking at, and they sort of figured out a way to put some some. Uh, uh, some wings onto the back of it. Basically, they took two sort of chocolate curves and stuck them together with a with a little belt in the middle. Um, I, I think it looks pretty good. You know, I'm not so hot on 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 the uh, the aesthetics of the building it's, mm-hmm. per se, but the shape of it. Sure, I wish it was a little more sexy. It's not like a like a woman descending a staircase with a with a dress curling around her legs or something like like the chocolate curve does, you know. But but it's 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 enough to make me want to go to Kotai. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Dave, buildings like this 
we we haven't seen a lot of him on the Las Vegas Strip, right? I mean, we the the Y sort of Y Tower is mm-hmm. very very popular. Um, any any uh, have there been designs in the past um, in this design that weren't built that you're aware of, uh, or any thoughts on you know this X design and why maybe it hasn't caught on for other buildings? I don't know, nothing I can think of. Um, but to me, it basically looks like you've got the uh, platform part of Bellagio or Win with this new modification of the Win Encore Tower on top of it. So it looks, I can see where they're coming from. And if you showed this to me, I would say, yeah, that definitely looks like a Win design. Right. Can't think of anything that this really reminds me of that's been, that's been built or that hasn't been built, though. The question, of course, will be if people copy it, right? I mean, the the Y design was widely copied in Las Vegas, done again and again. Well, will people see this and use it? And I guess we'll find out if it is uh, ends up having advantages. Gentlemen, uh, I'm going to throw this in the ring. I think this, this XW design, or whatever we want to call it, is sort of Aria-ish. If you look at Aria from the top, it's got the the long thing that goes through the middle and then the one leg that sticks out the front and then the other one that kind of pokes out the back. So hmm. to some degree, it's sort of derivative in in a sense to that. It's interesting. I am popping open my fancy 3D maps on my iPad here and I am looking at the fancy Aria X and yeah, I definitely see your point. It's interesting. Now, Aria is... Um, I've always thought it was a very interesting high-res design. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'll be very curious to see if people end up copying this. Uh, Wind has obviously often been a trendsetter when it comes to design stuff. Um, you know, what, what will come next? I don't know. We'll find out. It's going to be quite a while before the property is open. And I think like most of his places, you know, the outside will be nice, but it's really going to be about what's inside. And um, it sounds like they've got some pretty ambitious plans, which is no surprise. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing it unfold and see what they do. I'm surprised to hear about a nightclub, being that he uh, ixnade the nightclub in Win Macau right. virtually within months of it opening. It was attracting the riffraff, right? So he uh, he gave it the boot. Yeah, so I mean, why I, now? <laughs> I don't know. I guess either they've found some way that they think they can do it, or maybe, and I don't know. I'm just speculating. But are there nightclubs at some of these other newer properties, like? Galaxy and whatnot. Maybe they've been successful. I don't know. Don't know. Um, all right. Moving on. Um, Chuck, you and I were both in Las Vegas recently, though not at the same time. Um, I want to talk a little bit about those trips. Now, I know you've been posting on, on VT, and I think you've uh, got a bunch of stuff um, queued up as well, so people can look forward to continuing to get the morsels that you've extracted. But, um, you know, it was interesting. For me... I stayed uh, at the Palms for a night, which I had never stayed at the Palms before. Um, I was in the Fantasy Tower, which was the tower with the newly removed Playboy Club. That actually, they were re- removing it, all the stuff as I was there. They were taking the signs apart and stuff as I was as I was staying. So they, it was, it was. Uh, but I think by the time I checked out, it had been de-Playboyed completely. <laughs> uh, but it was, you know, I was sort of surprised. The room was a lot nicer and bigger than I was expecting. Um, I had pretty low expectations. Uh, but it was, it was, you know, it was nice. I, if it would felt like a very mid-level-ish, uh, strip level room it was very comfortable. Um, 
And then the rest of the rest of my stay, I was at uh, Mandalay Bay, which you know, what's interesting. Mandalay Bay is a big hotel. It's got a lot of rooms, right? It's 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 and when it's at full occupancy, there's a ton of people in that building. And what I was reminded of is that when it's full, it feels full. That place just feels like it's overflowing with people. Um, which I just I always find it very interesting to compare the the way that um, you know foot traffic flows through the different casinos and how they were designed and some of them handle it very well and others just feel like a constant traffic jam of people um there was always a line for the elevator that was incredibly long uh it 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 really felt like it was um (laughs) overly full uh which it was something that struck me again and again over the couple of days that i was there um sort of uncomfortably so but uh you know chuck you were you were aware caesar's palace yeah i stayed at caesar's how did that go uh, you know, I, uh, my head's been up my ass for the last couple of years. Uh, and I think it's directly related to, uh, the website to VT that I, I just have always been going to town for the wrong reasons. I've been going to go check stuff out and do research and work and, go to the new hotel opening and go double check on the new hotel and go check this out and do all this stuff. And somewhere in the process there in the middle, I kind of forgot how to have fun in Vegas and it turned my brain into mush for a good couple of years. This is my own fault. It's not Vegas's fault. It's my fault. Uh, this trip was, I had nothing to do with, with any of it. Really. My wife got, uh, forced into going to a convention for her job for training and they were doing it at Caesars and she booked the room. I had nothing to do with it. I said to her, I said, you know what? They've got a new tower there. Of course. Right. (laughs) Hey, they've got the Octavius tower. We should go check that out. And she looked at the price and said, no, I don't want to stay there. It's too much. You know, because it's five, six, seven days or so is the length of the convention. Uh, so, you know, we dialed it back and she just booked whatever it was. And I basically left the driving to her. I, I kind of just went and brought my camera and figured, well, she's going to go do whatever it is during the day. And then at night we'll go to dinner. And in the other times, I'm just going to kind of fuck around and walk around my camera, maybe do a little gambling. So... As it turned out, I had no expectations and I went with no agenda really at all uh, other than a list of about 47 items that I wanted to look at. (laughs) And uh, from the moment we arrived at Caesar's Palace to the moment that we left, our stay was impeccable. The service was phenomenal. Every single employee was incredibly gracious thoughtful, helpful, and bent over backwards for any request that we had. They served us with a smile. And I'm standing there thinking, man, this place opened in 1966, and they're still doing it right. After all this time, you know, who gives a shit about Cosmopolitan, Ari, and all these other places that are new opening and have all this attitude and PR stacked behind them? You know, the classic, the great... The one and only iconic Caesar's Palace, 
the flagship of the Caesars Corporation. They knocked it out. Every restaurant, every employee, every person I bumped into, talked to there was phenomenally great. And I came home from the trip feeling like on the top of the world, like I was back in love with Las Vegas again after sort of beating it to death in my own mind. Uh, it didn't hurt that I hit a royal flush <laughs> on a video poker machine, so having a couple extra dollars in the pocket helped too. But uh, all in all, my stay was 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 tremendous and relaxing and just the top, and I can't wait to uh, finish writing up the reviews and sharing all this stuff with everybody. I I can relate to that definitely as far as, you know, not really having fun ever. um i don't want it to sound overly dramatic but it it uh it's i think it's very easy to get sort of wrapped up in that it feels very job-like um a lot of the time and uh it so it's it's interesting that you were found you found a way to sort of recapture that i honestly still struggle with that a lot of the time It's, it's often difficult for me to um sort of relax and have a good time and i it sounds as i'm saying it out loud it sounds kind of silly just because it's like wow like oh yeah my job's so important that i can't just relax and have a good time well the thing is hunter is that we really care and we put our best efforts into the stuff that we do we look at things in extremely critical eye because we there's a lot of folks who sort of depend on us to have some kind of opinion that they can hopefully use to make their own decisions and, you know, we do that and we care and we work really hard at it. But at some point you have to sort of step back or be able to step back or get knocked back. And and remember why we did this stuff to begin with, what the first reasons were, the lights and the excitement and seeing a bunch of old ladies dancing to techno music outside of the, you know – Margaritaville and just, oh, my God, look how gaudy the Margaritaville Casino is, you know. Instead of saying, oh, my God, it's so gaudy. I hate it. I can't stand it. It's like, my God, it's gaudy. It's great. I love it, you know. Right. So it's it's finding the other side of the same equation. So to the day, if you look at it from your perspective, you know, you live in, live in the town. You work, you know, a stone's throw away from the strip. When's the last time you had fun in Las Vegas? When I say in Las Vegas, I, don't, I mean like as – Functioning as something like a tourist would do, something in the tourist corridor, not like going with your family to go to miniature golf or something. Yeah, on the strip, I don't think I can remember that. It's been a, been a quite a long time. Is that you, is that yeah. a sad thing? Is that because that, you're just I mean, overexposed, or is it because okay. they're not serving your needs? No, it's because I'm there for a work related thing, and <laughs> it's uh, kind of when I'm you know when I'm in the office eight hours a day studying this stuff, and then I'm also going out for Vegas Seven articles and stuff, and meeting with people and running around. It's kind of you get to see one aspect of it, but you don't probably don't get to see the other one. I, I don't really regret it. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know it's um it's nice to hear that you had such a good time, Chuck. I really uh it I, I I'm not not saying that I didn't have a good time on my trip. I it was it was interesting and. And definitely had some good times. Got to check out some new places. I got to go spend time at Hyde, actually, which um, a lot of people had said was actually was uh, a fun place to hang out as, as long as you leave before it turns into its nightclub mode. And uh, that's 
that's what we did. And actually it was, it was fun. Um, sort of, you know, late afternoon to, uh, I don't know what time it starts turning into a club, probably like eight or nine, something like that. But it's a great place to have some very overpriced drinks, but an incredible view, a nice enough, comfortable room. Um, they weren't harassing us for, you know, sitting in awesome seats that I think normally would be very expensive if you had the during the club hours. It was it was fun. I would definitely go back to Hyde. Um and I would recommend it if you you know, it's not like a sit there for five hours and have a bunch of drinks kind of place because I think you'd go broke. But um you know <laughs> have a have a cocktail or two. Uh it's it the view is pretty impossible to beat. Uh, it was and the people the people that worked there were you know, very friendly. So you could put a McDonald's there and yeah. charge thirty five bucks for a Big Mac and get it. Right. <laughs> I think that's true. I think that's true. I Hunter, know, I have a question actually yeah, about, yeah. about your Palm State. Yeah, sure. I was curious if you either via observation or discussion with employees or anything had noticed any changes as related to the ownership situation is it less maloofized? Uh, you see, like the first throws of what's happening with their renovation plans, or anything like that. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, didn't really notice a lot. Uh, it seems like you know they announced. I think they announced it was in the the story about the renovation. I think was in the paper the day I was there. So. Um, it was, you know, right as they're starting to blitz the press with some of this information, but there was, other than the fact that they were actively dismantling Playboy Club stuff while I was there, uh, there wasn't a lot of other signs of sort of any active construction. Um, it, it was the middle of the week, but it was fairly busy and the people seemed to be having a, having a good time. The couple employees that I spoke with were, uh, friendly and nice and seemed to like their jobs. One was brand new and. Uh, had just it was her first day, um, and uh, she didn't know how the cash register worked, but she was very nice and apologized and eventually figured it out. So um, not, I haven't really noticed much. I mean, I you know my understanding is that Maloof was a fairly hands-on manager. You know, he spent a lot of time on the floor. He he liked sort of being in the thick of it, and uh, if all of the sort of stories and rumors as far as how that how that his relationship with the place have changed or true you know he's really not as necessarily as involved right i mean his i think his official title now is is chairman i don't know uh, he doesn't he doesn't he's not on <clears throat> he's not the guy um tweaking the knobs i think as directly anymore if if everything that what people say is true so executive producer yeah right <laughs> i mean you know he's still got his name on the credits but it's not uh, you know, the, there's the management team there. I think the new folks have a clear idea of what they want to do, and they're not really asking his permission, um, as far as I can tell. Right? Dave, but, didn't you talk to George recently? I did. Yeah, it was for an interview. I'm doing an interview I did with him about John Gray, who's going to be the GM, or he is the GM of Link. Um, John had worked with him for several years and was his right hand guy there for a while. So yeah, I. Asked him how it was going, and he said, "Fine." <laughs> so that's, uh, I guess, that's how it's going. You know, yeah. it's, I, I think that's a guy who really needs a property to run. Yeah, I can't. The other, I, I think yeah. that's what he's, that's what he's built for. You know, that's what he's good at. That's what he excels at. And that's, I, if I had a property, 
he might be the guy I'd want to run it. I, it's hard for me to imagine him being happy uh, without, you know, having basically a, a title, but not necessarily direct operational control or not being the guy in all the meetings and, you know, the guy. It, I think it, he seems like the kind of guy where that would be just incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and I don't know exactly whether, you know, now in his role with NM, you know, the nine group. Yeah. Whether he is, so is he the one who's behind all the renovations? Is that his deal? I, I just don't know that. It would be interesting to find out, though. The chicken parmesan is just not very good. we got to get this <laughs> fixed right away. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, it, it will be interesting to see how the palms unfold. The, the, the new management seem to have a very clear idea of what they want to do. I mean, they, um, yeah. they're definitely moving boldly. So, um, you know, the property is, is well kept up as it always has been. Um, it's not really one of my favorite places to play or anything like that, but um, it's, you know, there's, as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not a big fan of nightclubs, which is obviously a big part of their, their appeal, but um, you know, everybody there was really nice. And like I said, the room was, uh, I was sort of surprised at how nice it was and maybe I shouldn't have been, but um, it was, it was very, very comfortable and big. So, <laughs> How's your room at Mandalay Bay? You're in one of the newer ones. Uh, the yeah, one of the renovated rooms. Um, it was fine. You know, uh, the one of the weird things about Mandalay Bay, which is more of a problem than it is at other gold tinted properties, since the uh, the um, windows are floor to ceiling, the light that comes into the room is like blue. It the whole room, <laughs> the whole room, it's really unnatural looking. Um, and you, you you try and like I was trying to take pictures, obviously, and, and the, it's really tough during the day to get uh, any kind of photos that are lit with the natural light, because it just looks really strange. Yeah. Um, and it, I don't, I, you know, I like Florida ceiling windows and I think Mandalay Bay from the outside is, is fine looking, but um, the, what it does inside the rooms with the tint is I think very unfortunate. It's like someone turned the knob all the way in Photoshop. It just, does not, <laughs> it, it does not look very good. And um, so, you know, the room itself, it was comfortable, uh, nice large bathroom. It, they, I think the renovations came out nice enough. The, their, the furniture was a little bit scuffed up, like it had been manhandled. Um, and I found, like, spots of blood on the floor of the bathroom, which is kind of gross. What's the deal with you and blood in hotel rooms? I know. This, that happened at Bally's when I was there yeah. uh, last October. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I tweeted the at Mandalay Bay account and said, hey – I think there's blood in my room, but no response. So, you know. Twitter's useless. Yeah, well, especially when you're kind of like, I didn't really expect a response, right? What are they going to (laughs) say? We'll be be up with our forensic team. You were there a day or two before the big casino meltdown meltdown in their their reservation system and all that stuff. Did you see any of that? Uh, No, I missed that. Um, It was... Check in and check out was relatively easy. Um, I did uh, have a problem. I called to get my bill because I just left and I didn't want to deal with it. Uh, I called the next day to get my bill, and uh, they told me that they couldn't give it to me for like five days. <laughs> They're like, "Yeah, we can't get it to you for you know for a huge amount of time." And I was I was frustrated. But I was like, seriously. But then, At least they were honest. <laughs> yeah, the lady, the lady sounded like she wanted to kill herself. She was like Ooh. so so bummed out. <laughs> um, 
It was it was not good. I mean, I I missed the lines. I can only imagine. Imagine sitting in one of those lines for like four or five hours. I mean, the pictures that we saw of yeah. like the lobbies at Bellagio, it was uh, ridiculous, ridiculous. How can how does that happen? You know, I, as as a person who has developed and pushed out a lot of software in my lifetime. Right. You know, you always have a rollback plan if right. it doesn't work. Right. You know, you, you even if you have to pot a couple servers and say, we're just going to roll it out to this one, right. you know, and see what happens, you always have the option to roll it back and try again at a later time when you figure out what the problem is. It seems like MGM pushed it out. It sat there and exploded, and then they sat there on production and tried to figure out why it didn't work. You know, bad news. Yeah. Particularly across eight hotels or 13 properties throughout their expansive Photoshop universe. Uh, <laughs> where, <laughs> how could they let this happen? And they just, they just, they screwed themselves with tens of thousands, 50,000 customers yeah. who are now never going to go back because of that. It's un, it's unbelievable. I mean, I don't know. I don't have the technical details of how their systems are set up, and you know, I'm sure that there are significant benefits to be had by uh, federating those systems to the, to some degree, cost savings and um, and that sort of thing. But to to run into this kind of a situation um, and not clearly not have any kind of reasonable contingency plan to move backwards is, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that somebody got fired, right? They have. If, and if they didn't, then there's something – I mean, that's just such a big mistake. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what I was um, – I think when it happened, we were talking about it on Twitter. And, you know, somebody pointed out that MGM has cut back a lot of their IT staff and they rely a lot on consultants and their vendors. So, you know, these aren't necessarily people that have that same level of commitment um, as one of your employees would have, right? When you're just calling right. up some vendor who's moving from job to job, uh, it – it, it, maybe they may have gotten bit by cost cutting um, a little bit too severely in their in their IT department. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's terrible. I feel really bad for the people that got stuck in that situation because it just sounded like I mean, what a way to start your vacation! Ugh, horrible. Yeah, horrible. Electric uh, Daisy Carnival weekend too. You yeah, know? right. You yeah. show up to get into your room. Let's say you show up at five and you're figuring, oh, I'll go in and I'll get in my room. I'll be in my room by six, six thirty. I'll take a little power nap, have a quick bite to eat, and then head out to the speedway. Right. Between between the five hours, you're not in your room till ten or eleven p.m. And then the traffic on the on the road to get to the event. You never get there. Basically, your first day has been has been screwed by MGM. Right. No, I mean it, it's horrible. I personally, though, I can't imagine waiting in a line for five hours. I mean, I would be like, okay, fuck this. I'm gonna yeah. just put my bag somewhere and I'll be back. Like, yeah. I mean, come on. We. It just. It just seems like uh, a pretty terrible way to spend your time. But um, no, it's, it's horrible. Horrible. What they had done was they told people to come back, like go away, uh, uh-huh. come back later, and then co- every come back at four p.m. and then everybody came back at four p.m. Mm-hmm. Ouch! You know this is this is the word at, at Aria is what they did, right? And obviously that doesn't work, right? It's like Cosmo opening night all over again. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's it's bad news, bad bad news. Um, so sort of transitioning from the trips, I wanted to talk about. And it's sort of related to this because we were talking about, um, you know, 
how being involved in this kind of thing sometimes can suck the life out of out of some of the fun. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about was this idea that, you know, Las Vegas construction has slowed down to a trickle. Pretty much the only thing going right now is Link. Um, and for a long time, we were very used to a constant drumbeat of construction and new openings and exciting new stuff. Uh, and that has basically stopped. And so what I'm wondering is, if you guys, what do you guys think about this idea that Las Vegas is now boring because we don't have <laughs> ongoing construction? What do you think about that? Dave, what do you think about that? I think it's definitely not boring. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's not as dramatic as it used to be, so you won't see another 3,000-room hotel being built. But there's definitely a lot going on. You know, with Vegas 7, I get to kind of cover the gaming industry, and there's never a shortage of things to write about. I mean, there's always something going on. And not just rewriting press release stuff either. I mean, like real stories. You know, whether it's the renovations or some of the executives moving around or just things opening, things closing. I think there's still a lot of things happening here. Chuck, you know, and I should have pulled my numbers and I didn't look, but, you know, we have the ability to sort of gauge people's interests in terms of at a sort of macro trending level over time in Las Vegas, because you can see it by how many people visit websites and buy apps and do all that stuff. Do you have any sense of the trajectory are people as excited as they were a couple of years ago? Are they more excited? Has the tone changed? I mean, anything, any thoughts on that? That's a really good question. You know, I'm going to, I think that, uh, having those big projects, a skyline changer, um, or a, something closing, major closing, you know, major renovations, these kinds of things. Uh, it gives people something to look forward to, and it's something that they can kind of track when they're not in town. And not having a bigger thing to sort of sew everything together, the narrative, uh, it makes it easier for people to sort of lose the script and not really retain the the constant interest, you know, we didn't know exactly what city center was going to look like. You know, we had seen the renderings, the first models and then more renderings. And as it turns out, it didn't really come out looking like that. You know, there was some of it, but to see the building slowly kind of creeping out and saying, well, what are they going to put in there? You know, the, it's like getting excited for Christmas, but it's a three-year wait, you know, right. and it builds up a lot of a lot of um, passion amongst people about what the hell is going to happen. And once that thing is gone and people aren't, you know, you're not digging for big diamonds, you're digging for small ones. Uh, I think folks get a little less kind of fascinated, interested in it. You know, I think the SLS, if that thing actually happens, could potentially be interesting. Echelon, eventually they'll get that thing going. Uh, Link, I think, is going to be pretty interesting. You know, but if you like construction and shit like that, you know. <laughs> I was I was actually excited when I went to the Imperial Palace, you know, the other day. And I was looking at it. I was like, man, they really tore this place up. That driveway in the front is totally been completely gutted. You can see into the uh, carnival court and all sorts of stuff. And you can see actually from the carnival court right to the Flamingo. 
mm-hmm. while you're standing in front of the old door, the door there that you used to walk to from O'Shea's. Uh, so you can kind of envision it. And unlike those other times, you're standing in the middle of the project because they're letting you go into the hotel. It's right. still operating. Right. So, you know, I, I think you're right, though. Uh, we don't have a big present under the Christmas tree. and But there are groovy kind of stuff happening, bits and pieces. But, you know, these are small strokes. They're not big strokes. Right. So, I mean, I think – I too think that Link is interesting. But I, I think about it, it from the perspective of the city as a, a tourist destination. I mean, when places like – you know, even as far back as Bellagio, and then you get into the Venetians and the Mandalay Bays of the world, and then Wynn, and then even Encore, and of course City Center, people knew they were coming. And I don't just mean like nerds that read our websites. I mean like the public knew, oh, that big project in Las Vegas, man, that thing's going to be crazy. And sometimes yeah. they'd heard about it for the wrong reasons, right? Because it was bankrupt yeah. or some construction worker was getting drunk before he went to operate his crane or something. Right. But – um it was in sort of the public zeitgeist, and I, you know, Link may be interesting, but if you don't follow Las Vegas closely, you don't know anything about Link. I would bet. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's not a, a needle mover in terms of you know the amount of interest that uh, it takes to captivate people outside of its immediate circle. No. Here's the thing, though: well, how many people who come to Vegas even knew about City Center? I don't know. I would, you know, I. Okay, so I have my hunch, and then I don't have any uh, data to back it up whatsoever. Um, but I know that City Center was in the Wall Street Journal all the time uh, as far as the project because it was such a big project um, yeah. and, and because of the problems that it had, frankly. Uh, so I think City Center especially people knew was coming because of its scale, because it was so massive, because of the hyperbole around it. It's going to redefine the world. Um, so I, I think in terms of city center, I think people did know it was coming to some, and they may not have known any of the details, but they knew that there was some big project in Las Vegas that was going to open and that they were going to eventually going to be able to check out. Right. Yeah. I guess same well, thing with, same thing with wind too. He, you know, it's the new Steve wind joined. So that automatically opens a whole bunch of ears. But there's also a lot of people who maybe came to Las Vegas, you know, five years before they're coming back for a convention and they just hear that, wow, you know, there's some great new restaurant opened, you know, just opened and it actually opened three years ago. And it's not the place that we think is hot, but for them, it's what they really want to see. Right. I think, I think there's a good percentage of people and the people at the LVCBA probably know this much better, you know, how, what percentage of people are coming on a more regular basis, but I think there's a lot of people for whom, even if nothing new opened for another two or three years, they would something would be new for them. Uh, I don't dispute that. Um, there are definitely people that uh, you know don't come every year; that they make a trip every two, three, four years. Of course, um, I just I don't know. It feels to me like there's some level of vitality missing. So a spark is missing, um, and I guess what I'm trying to determine is if. That is just specific to um, nerds like us, or whether, <laughs> or whether it's something that people feel in general. Does Las Vegas feel exciting? Does it feel like it's because for a long time, especially in the mid two thousands, Las Vegas felt like it was like on a freight train speeding along. Like stuff was getting built, and everyone was moving there, and you could 
never graduate from high school and make a million dollars a year. And like it was, it was, there was so much <laughs> momentum behind sort of Las Vegas as an idea. And I wonder, it feels like that's kind of eroded. It has. The rug got pulled out. The yeah. whole thing. It right. collapsed. Right. But, you know, little by little, some things are kind of clawing back. You know, I have a section of my yard that because I wasn't paying attention to the sprinkler system, like this huge patch burned out. You know, it's like this big brown square in the middle of my yard. And now I go out and I make sure I water it, right? But there's only a couple little green spots. The rest of it's still brown. It's going to take a while before the green takes over the brown, and that's the same thing. I love the lawn metaphor, definitely. It's all just a big lawn, man. <laughs> I'm getting a real Chauncey Gardner vibe here, <laughs> which is awesome. Yes. <laughs> Chauncey, awesome. Chauncey Gardner, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I would be interested to hear from listeners, too, in the comments to see if how you feel about this issue, whether, whether you feel like uh, I'm crazy or whether you feel like um, you, know, you feel some of this, too, or, or whether it matters. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe you feel it, but it doesn't matter. It could just be the nerds, Hunter. You yeah, know, in the could. middle of the ramp up for the opening of all of these things that have opened in the last few years, you know, I used to get assaulted with tips of every single thing. Like this person has announced they're making tile for a restaurant, you right. know, and down to every single detail, people were just sending in information from everywhere. But once that kind of stopped, that stopped too. Right. Everything stopped. You know, the, so that degree of excitement, it's gone. I mean, you know, for a lot of these companies, their focus is in other places, China or wherever. Um, it's, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm having trouble to exactly articulating how I feel about it, but I, it definitely feels different. You to missed me. the building boom, man. That's basically it. I do. It is, but it's not an Atlantic City situation where they're moving backwards. I agree yeah. with you. Visitation agree. is up. People are still investing, you know, especially having gone to that uh, RD&E, the Retail Dining and Entertainment Conference, you know, hearing people talk about what they're doing with restaurants in Vegas and how they're investing this stuff in Vegas. And a lot of the country is still looking to Vegas for leadership in that. And they're still, you know, looking to Vegas as this really big booming market. So, yeah, I mean, compared to where the city was in 2007 or 2006, it doesn't look so hot. But compared to where Atlantic City is in 2012, it looks really great. And a lot of other markets, too. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, I, I am curious to hear from listeners. I hope some of you guys will leave some comments um, and tell us how you feel about this sort of thing. Um, moving, moving on. Moving on. Um, <laughs> To talk about the Cosmopolitan, my favorite place in yours, a quickie little entry that um, that Dave directed me to that I plucked from the Vegas Tripping board, which was an interesting post about their identity program and how they treat gamblers. And so, you know, for a long time, it's been com sort of common knowledge that Cosmopolitan has had trouble monetizing their casino. Um, but you see this post from Synth Pop 101. And, um, you know, the way that they break down their, their uh, credit system, to, their point system to get points, you have to – it's so disproportionately um, set against gambling versus towards, you know, food and beverage and all that sort of good stuff. 
it it just seems like if they're trying we hear stories about them trying to attract more players but how can that be true if they're doing this um it doesn't make sense to me dave can you explain it i'm feeling like i'm missing a piece of the puzzle here and i don't have all the pieces but i'm just going to talk (laughs) (laughs) i do that all the time (laughs) yeah if i'm not mistaken and i haven't contract it's my understanding that most of the restaurants most of the f&b at cosmopolitan is not owned by cosmopolitan directly it's third party um either a management deal or they're leasing something or other so i'm assuming that they do not get a hundred percent of the revenue that somebody spends in haleo i and i don't know if that's correct i'm assuming it is and if it's not i'm sure someone will let me know in the comments quite gleefully <laughs> On the other hand, they keep 100% of the revenue from gaming. So it makes no sense that they would want to consistently promote the things that they're not getting 100% of. You know, why bother? And I guess you could make the argument that, like, saying, well, if we make $100 million in food and beverage and we only get to keep 50% of that, that's better than keeping 100% of $25 million, which I guess I get. But it just, just seems to me that the revenue potential really has got to be in the gaming for them, you know, in order for them to do well financially. It's nice that they've got people coming in there and it's nice it's generating foot traffic and buzz, but that's not going to get their EBITDA up. I would think they've got to raise their gaming revenue up to get the EBITDA up to get people, to get investors interested in offering any kind of price for the place. I I mean, they don't necessarily have to be, um, wow, that sounds weird. They don't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, the challenging Bellagio or Wynn or Caesars for the, the, all of the world's top whales, but they're nowhere near competitive with their casino when you look at where they should be and where they are, right? It just – they've underperformed in the casino since they opened, and they need to do a lot better to make, to make their balance sheet look anywhere near normal. Uh, and then they do this. I just don't – I don't get it, I, I, especially since they're bringing on – uh, you know, they brought on people like Tom McCartney, a really smart guy, a lot of experience. They, they obviously know all these things. What, why, why, why? Tell me why. I don't know, but I, you know, I will say that every time I go down there, I see Tom McCartney out in the casino floor doing something. I mean, so he, it's not like he's not involved. He's there and he looks like he's concerned and doing something. Maybe he's got a great poker face. I don't know, but he, Looks like he's really working hard. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that. Why the loyalty program isn't totally aligned with the casino to try to drive more casino gaming, which again to me would seem to be what you need to do if you want to get your EBITDA up, which is probably what Deutsche Bank ultimately wants to do. You know, ultimately, I think they do want to sell the property, and you don't have to be a genius to figure out that it's easier to sell a property that's doing very well than one that is not doing as well. I'll tell you why. Tell me they're why. Not, they're not doing it. When I was in Vegas, <laughs> I, uh, as I had mentioned before, I, I hit a royal flush on a, on, a, on a video poker machine at Bill's. I instantly cashed out. I took my dough and I split. And I was walking around that day with all this money in my pocket. And I'm like, man, I got all this cash. I'm ready to play some dice. I got a bankroll where I can get dangerous on the dice table. I went to the Cosmopolitan and I walked around and there was 
a couple of tables open. Most of them were just dealers standing there looking at each other. A couple guys screwing around with the uh, the the, uh, the croupier stick at the craps table, and either the limits were high, or the minimums were high, or I just didn't like the vibe, or there was nobody at the table. It just wasn't enticing me to play. I didn't want to play. I wanted to play, but I don't want to play on an empty dice table or an empty blackjack table, me against the dealer, particularly at 25 or 50 bucks, you know, minimums. That's ridiculous. They should start the day with beachwear rates, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning, make those $5 tables. So people are on the table all day and then just up the rates. They're not doing that. It's like basic casino management, right? If there's nobody at the tables, you lower the minimums so you get some people playing and then you start moving them up little by little, right? Is well, this, I've, I've this is what happens pretty much everywhere. I've noticed it a lot walking through Cosmopolitan is that their, their uh, minimums are often seem uh, – don't seem they seem out of whack with the volume of play in the casino. They're often way higher than, yeah. than uh, you would think considering most of the tables yeah. are empty. Yeah. So um, I do not understand that strategy, but they do yeah. seem to be employing it consistently. Yeah. Um, there's, there's three people in the high limit lounge. I three people. The one downstairs or Talon? The one, the one downstairs. I went through Talon and there was probably three people in there too. One guy who was just drunk and loud, Asian guy playing Baccarat. He was just screaming and yelling and carrying on and making a big to-do, but – I mean, high, high limit room is one thing because those yeah. volumes change a lot. You never know who's playing where and doing what. But just in the normal general casino, it yeah. is consistently on, your, on, yeah, on the tables. I'm going to say through their whole total of tables, there was probably under 20 players. Wow. Yeah. See, and this is this is probably like two o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. Right. See, guys, this is why I don't enjoy myself when I go to a casino because I will walk around and try to compute the utilization ratio of genes <laughs> and I'll file it away in my head. So then when somebody says, oh, Cosmo, oh yeah, I was in there. The utilization ratio looked to be about 10 to 15 percent at yeah. uh, 4 p.m. on a Wednesday. Right. right. So, yeah, that's, you go, if you go down to Fremont Street, you know, they're, they're packed. packed. The casinos they, are packed. They're They're – Doing monster business. Yeah, I, it's 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 hard for me to understand what their strategy is, and as far as I know, they haven't really articulated it. Uh, so we are just left to look at information like this and what you see when you walk through the casino and try to figure out what the hell they're doing. And it is not clear. Bill's was a madhouse. Imperial Palace was a madhouse. The Flamingo. I couldn't even find a damn slot machine. Yeah, Cosmopolitan is empty. It's a ghost town. There's nobody there. They're all upstairs. Yeah, I mean, say what you want about Caesars, but those properties they have in the mid-strip, whenever I'm by there, they're always packed. There's a ton of energy, and it looks like people are playing. It looks like people are having a really good time, especially in the Margaritaville Casino, which is another reason why I've got high hopes for Link because I think if they build off of that, which is what they've told me they want to do and they're aware of this, you know, that – so imagine if that little part of the Margaritaville Casino was what the entire Imperial, Imperial Palace looked like and imagine what that would do for their bottom line. Right. 
I was at Cosmopolitan um, one night for some drinks at the sh- Chandelier Bar, and the bar was packed. 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 But, yeah. uh, you know, the casino was not. So um, it's it's hard to understand. We will continue to monitor the situation closely as our, <laughs> as our foreign correspondents refer back to the home, the home store. Um, I think we're probably going to leave it there for today. There's some really interesting stuff happening in internet gaming, but uh, that's a big topic. And so I think we'll uh, save that for, for next time um, along with a couple of other things. So I think we will wrap things up for the weekend. Um, but we're going to do our fantastic Sure Bets segment. Sure Bets is a segment where we can recommend something to you, to you, the listener. It doesn't necessarily have to be casino-related, but it certainly can be. Um, <laughs> Chuck, do you have a sure bet for our audience today? I sure do. Um, keeping with uh, the uh, the trend here, I'm going to uh, – if you like the rock and roll, and I know everybody likes the rock and roll, I've got a couple of picks uh, I'm going to throw out here. <clears throat> um, uh, I got this expanded version of The Wall by Pink Floyd, which has all of these demos and stuff on it. I did like a complete my album on iTunes. It cost four bucks, and it came with like 30 more songs and – uh, a live version of the show and an hour-long documentary. So that's one pick, uh, the Wall Expanded Edition. Another one would be uh, uh, the new album by Accept, A-C-C-E-P-T. They're a German heavy metal band. They've kind of resurged in the last few years. A record called Stalingrad, which is quite power metal and quite awesome. And also uh, the new one on the block uh, is the new album by Rush, it's called Clockwork Angels. It's a steampunk fantasy. Uh, it's their first kind of sort of, I wouldn't call it a concept album, but I'd maybe call it a narrative album where it's like a whole story and the lyrics. And it's, uh, it's not like huge prog rock, but it's, it's really meaty and, and almost beautiful in a lot of ways. There's some really gorgeous ballads, and Getty sounds great. The musicianship's impeccable. Their new album called Clockwork Angels just came out. It's pretty awesome. So I got three picks. It's all rock and roll, and you'll love it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Dr. Schwartz, what about you? I have got a monitor full of vintage Vegas for you. University libraries at UNLV have just released, or whatever you do, their latest digital collection. It's called Dreaming the Skyline, Resort Architecture and the New Urban Space. Uh-oh. And it's basically, using the collections we have here, a look at the history of resort architecture in Las Vegas and elsewhere. A lot of other cities, Reno, Atlantic City, Lake Tahoe. It's really, really cool. I know I tweeted about it, and I heard that there were countless hours of work productively lost Uh-oh. for this. <laughs> it's really, really cool. Does it come Does it come with lotion? It <laughs> <laughs> probably should. Wow. It's fantastic. Wow. So if you haven't seen it, take a look at that. Dreaming the Skyline. Digital collection. Really cool. Um, you know, just really neat stuff. Awesome. Uh, we'll obviously link to it as well. With a Q. Uh, cool. Yes, link with a Q. Um, <laughs> all right. So I'm going to uh, recommend an iPhone app. Um, <laughs> yes, I know. I'm, so, I'm very predictable. 
I uh, I like um, many of our listeners. I'm a big fan of Twitter. There are a lot of different uh, Twitter clients for the iPhone. Um, a, a big, very big selection, including Twitter's own app, which is which is free. But if you want to go beyond that, um, there are a lot of other great apps. And the one that I like to use is called Tweetbot. And I like Tweetbot for a lot of reasons, um, but mostly because it has a lot of really cool gestures built in. You can swipe different directions on certain things to see conversations or see replies to certain certain tweets. Um, it's a very, very nicely done and well thought out user interface. It's a lot of uh, little animations and little nice touches. It's it's um, it's just a very nicely done app, and it's I think it's dollar ninety nine or two ninety. I think it's two ninety nine. But uh, I would say well worth it, especially if you like to use Twitter. It's got great support for multiple accounts if you're like me and have like eight Twitter accounts. Um, and that may not be a normal use case, but uh, it's it's very cool. There's also an iPad version, and it's it, what, one thing that's nice is it's, it will sync your uh, red items and timeline position between the devices. So if you get caught up on one, then it knows you're caught up when you pick up the other one. So and your mutes. Yeah. Anyway. And your mutes, and too. Your, oh, that's right. It's got a great muting system. So if there's, like, your brother-in-law who you can't unfollow because he would be upset, you can actually mute him um, for either a, you know, a day, a week, forever. You can also mute keywords and hashtags if you don't want to hear anything about LeBron James or, uh, <laughs> you know, the NHL. You can say, goodbye, <laughs> NHL, goodbye. Um, so it's got a lot of really cool features. I would totally recommend checking it out if you like Twitter. It's a couple bucks, but I think it's well worth it. And uh, I will link to it in the show notes for those that haven't tried it. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like Tweety before it got acquired and became stagnant. Right, right. You know, it's really fun. It's easy to use. It's got a lot of great, great uh, uh, bits and pieces and wormholes you can dig into. It, it, it makes your Twitter experience better, for sure. I, I, I double down on this one. I'm a big fan. Oh, and to top it all off, we found out this week that there's going to be a Mac version coming soon. So uh, there, there soon will be a Mac version as well. So uh, you can get your TweetBot wherever you want it. All right. Uh, Looks like we're going into the audio outer space part of the is it, program. We're having a lot of trouble with this today. Um, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know if you guys can hear me at all. Yes. You sound like Grateful Dead set two. Okay. That's not good. I'm going to say <laughs> thank you, goodbye. <laughs> you know where to find these guys. Oh, you guys tell them where, where can they find you? Dave. Uh, DGSchwartz.com, Vegas7.com, and, of course, Two Way Hard 3. Chuck. People can find me at VegasTripping.com. Awesome. Uh, you can find me at uh, VegasMate.com. I'm going to try and fix the audio as best I can. If, if it doesn't turn out great, then sorry. Sorry. Um, all right, guys. Thanks. Have a great weekend. <laughs>